So today for our sermon, we're going to be continuing on in our series, looking at the Gospel of Matthew. We've been in this series for a while now. We're marching our way through the book of Matthew, and today we're going to be in chapter 14. So you can take out your Bibles and uh, flip to Matthew chapter 14, and we're going to be looking at verses 22 through to 33. And this is a passage that's very familiar to us. You may remember being in Sunday school as a kid and uh, reading the passage or having it taught to you about Jesus walking on the water. It's probably one that you've uh, read many times since or heard a number of sermons on. Uh, And this passage about Jesus walking on the water, it's one that's familiar to us, but I think it's one that often we come to and we just sort of see what's going on on the surface, but we really fail to to grasp a lot of the, the richness of what's actually being said and taught in the midst of this passage. Often we come to it and we sort of think, oh, this is just sort of a a really neat passage, pretty cool, here's Jesus, he's he's doing a miraculous thing, and hey, he can walk on the water, and and, and that's sort of often all I think we we take away from the passage, but the reality is that there's just so much more in here, a lot of great meat in teaching, and so I want to really dive deep, take a look at this passage and all that it's really saying to us. So let's dive in now, we're going to read our passage from, from the beginning, verse 22, all the way to, to the end, verse 33. I'll read it for us, and as we often do, uh, I'll sort of march, march us through this passage, and I'll pause at various points, and we'll do our teaching as we work through the passage, and then we'll sort of come back at the end, look at it big picture, and, and really apply what we've learned to our lives. So let's dive in, and let's read, starting at verse 22. And here it says, Immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So Jesus is here with his disciples at the Sea of Galilee, uh, and he's having them sort of go on ahead of him and get on a boat and head to the other side, and then his plan is, you know, he'll just meet up with them uh, afterward on the other side. He's going to deal with the crowd. He'll dismiss them. So he does that. So they get into the boat, and they're headed to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. Jesus goes. He dismisses the crowd. So it says, verse 23, after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And I'm not going to dwell too long on this, but it's still worth noting here, uh, Jesus really emphasizing the the priority that prayer ought to be in our lives. It's sort of not centrally what I'm going to look at in this passage as we uh, go through this sermon, but it's certainly worthy of note that this was a priority in Jesus's life, spending time with the Father, taking time away from whether the disciples, whether the crowds, and just going and being alone with his heavenly Father and just fellowshipping with him, just communicating with him, talking to him, praying to him. And so he certainly makes that a priority here, sets aside that time, goes up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And then it says, reading on in verse 23, later that night he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So the disciples there headed over to the other side of the Sea of Galilee. It's not sort of uh, an easy trek for them. The wind has certainly picked up, and there's big waves are sort of struggling against the wind. Uh, and, and you can even imagine that, that in the midst of sort of this storm, this windy weather, uh, there may even be a sense of fear of how, how's this going to play out. You know, certainly when there's bad weather out on the, the sea, out on a big lake, lake like the Sea of Galilee, right? It can go poorly and ships can go down and people can can perish and, and lose their lives. And so there already may be sort of a, a sense and certainly would have been, you can imagine, a sense of fear about the situation. But really the real great fear is still yet to come and we're going to see how that plays out here. So uh, we're going to read on here now verse 25. 
shortly before dawn, so it's not yet the day, it's still nighttime, but, but it's reaching toward dawn of, of the, the new day. So shortly before dawn Jesus, uh, dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. So here's Jesus, right? And here we're going to talk about this, but really we see in this passage and, and right here in this verse and the verses to come, really who Jesus is. This is the man who is no ordinary man, but what can he do? He can go and just walk out onto the water, right? Instead of stepping out on the water and he sinks in it, which happens to all of us when we do that, yet what happens for him, right? He just goes, he steps out, and he can walk on the water. And what we're going to see, what this is really saying to us is, is who he is. It's speaking to his identity. Yes, he's fully man, but he's also God. This is God himself, the Son. And we're going to see that as a central theme in this passage. And so as we read on, it continues, verse 26, When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear, right? Sort of imagine it from their perspective. Here they are. They're sort of already a bit terrified, the the storm that's going on, and they're struggling in the boat to get to the other side. Uh, And then in the midst of this already sort of unsettling situation, what happens is suddenly there's this appearance of a person, and yet what is he doing? He's walking to them on the water, right right here in the midst of the Sea of Galilee. And you can imagine they're they're sort of trying to process this in, in their minds. They're not thinking this is a real person because real people don't walk on the water. They sink or they float a little bit, but they don't walk on the water. And so where does their mind go to, well, this must be some sort of spiritual apparition that that has just sort of popped up and there's a sense of fear, right? Especially in the midst of this context, it's not sort of a great scene already. They're already terrified, fearing for their lives, a little bit of an ominous situation. And they're probably thinking, whatever spirit this must be that's coming to us on the water, it can't mean good for us. It must it not be meaning us well, but probably means us ill in this terrifying situation of the storm, and there would have been a sense of fear of that over that situation. But then what happens? Verse 27, it says, but Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And sort of on the surface, you could look at this and, and say, well, Jesus is just saying, hey, hey, don't worry, you know, I, I'm, I'm, this is me, it's me, it's Jesus, you know who I am, I'm not some sort of terrifying spirit that's just sort of appeared here on the water, sort of floating across the top of the water, above the water, no, it's me, it's Jesus, you know, don't worry, don't be afraid, right? And there's some level to that, but I'd say Jesus is saying much more, and a little bit of what's going on here is understandably lost in translation, since as we translate this into English, we want to render it in a way that's sort of normal English grammar. And so the way it's translated is, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. But that part, it is I, in Greek, is really very literally and emphatically, I am. That's what he's saying. He says, take courage, I am, don't be afraid. And quite obviously, very clearly, what Jesus is doing is identifying himself with the divine name, Yahweh. He's saying, this is who I am. I'm telling you who I am. I am I am. I'm the great I am. I am God himself. I am God the Son. Right? That's, that's central to what this passage is about, is the identity of Jesus. Who is he? Especially in a day and age where uh, many want to say, you know, Jesus, this idea that he's God, that, no, you know, I can't believe that. You know, he was just, he was a good teacher. He was some great rabbi. He had a lot of wisdom to, to declare to others, but that's all. Many people want to say that, sort of liberal Protestant churches, mainline churches, that's sort of a lot of the thinking in today's 
day and age. And this passage is really directed at that sort of thinking and saying, no, 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 that is not correct. Let me tell you who Jesus is. He is the one who walks on water. Ordinary men, good, wise teachers, they don't walk on top of the water. And even more, Jesus makes it abundantly clear. He says, I am. This is who I am, right? And makes reference, of course, there to the divine name. He's saying, I'm Yahweh. This is who I am. I am God on high, God most high. That is who he's saying. That is his identity, and he's making it abundantly clear here. But he's doing a little bit more in the midst of this. He's certainly saying who he is. Hey, I'm not just some, some regular guy. I'm not some regular person who just has a little bit of wisdom. No, I, I'm God most high. I am the Lord. That's who I am. But he's also telling us a little bit about sort of what he does. And we see this in a couple ways in this passage here, in these verses that we just read. One is that he tells us that he casts out fear, right? Basically, he's saying, it is I. Remember, he's saying, I am. So he's saying, I'm the Lord, the all-powerful God, who is good and kind and gracious, right? Here I am with you, so there's no need to be afraid, right? I am God. I am all-powerful. I am good. So there's no need. I am with you, my people. There is no need to be afraid. Take courage. I'm with you. I'm the Lord. Don't be afraid. And so he casts out fear. And I'd say it's a a particularly uh, appropriately timed lesson for us, especially now in the midst of of the coronavirus pandemic. And and certainly there's a lot of fear and uncertainty, a lot of anxiety about it. And, And our sort of takeaway here, what Jesus is saying to us is we don't need to be afraid. Because God himself is with us, and he can handle whatever situation we're in. He's Lord of it all. He's over it all, all powerful, and he has got it. He has it in control, and we can trust him and just lean upon him and not fear, but instead experience peace in him. And so that's part of what he does and what he's saying here. But there's, there's more in regard to sort of what he does and what's being said here. And to understand that, we have to understand really the Jewish context, the Israelite context, really for generations. Think of uh, sort of Old Testament era all the way up to Jesus's day here. And the Jewish way of thinking of, of the water and sort of symbolism associated with the water was just, they viewed the water as a place where bad things happened. People went away to sea and they didn't come back. Ships would go out and they'd sink and lives would perish there. It was sort of a place where that was just associated with badness. There's sort of a sense of chaos. You'd see the waters, you know, uh, all, the, all the waves crashing and, and, and there's just a sense of chaos and badness and death. And so it certainly came to be symbolic, not just of, of badness in a general sense, but even of evil or sin. Uh, not that they viewed the water intrinsically as evil, right? That's not the case. God created it. It's good. But it sort of naturally, because of that connotation, became symbolic in a sense of of all that's bad, evil, sin, death, destruction. And what Jesus is saying here as he walks upon the water is that as he steps out into the water, it's not as though he sinks and the water swallows him up and all that the water symbolizes, evil, sin, death, all that. That doesn't defeat him. That doesn't swallow him, but rather he treads upon it. He walks upon it. He is victorious, triumphs over it. Uh, And we really see that, of course, in his death, in his resurrection, That's, in a sense, what this is speaking to and addressing is he is the one who triumphs over sin, over death, over evil, and he does it on the cross through his death, through his resurrection, and that's what's being stated to us here. And we have to really understand that Jewish context and sort of how they would have viewed the water in the statement of walking on the water, the statement that Jesus is making, that he triumphs over all that the water represents and symbolizes. But then reading on here, now we're in verse 28. 
And Peter has a response here, and he says, Lord, if it's you, and here I want to nuance the translation a little bit, not, not that if is bad, the, the Greek word there used, sort of the classic stock translation for that word is if, but it can also very often mean something more along the lines of since. It's not as though it's in question, and Peter's here saying, maybe it's you, Jesus. I'm still not sure, though. I'm questioning. No, he knows it's the Lord, and he's saying, Lord, since it's you, knowing that it's you, Tell me to come to you on the water. And then what's Jesus' response? Right? He says, come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. And I'm going to pause here because I want to give Peter a little bit of credit. We probably know how the story goes on, right? Uh, Peter's ultimately going to wind up seeing, you know, the wind and the waves and, and becomes concerned and fearful and begins to doubt and he starts to sink and Jesus has to reach out his hand, grab hold of him and rescue him. Uh, but before we get there, and, and, you know, we can sort of look at Peter's failing as he, as he doubted, as he's certainly lacked faith in that situation. I want to give him a little bit of credit because the fact is he did have enough faith to get out of the boat to begin with. Uh, and I think oftentimes, right, just put yourself in his shoes. It took quite a measure of faith, right? You know, here's Jesus. He's walking on the water, right? Great. But now here's Peter. He even takes the initiative. He sees Jesus walking on the water and says, you know, look at the power that you have. And surely you can have me do the same. And so call to me, tell me to come to you and I'll be able to walk on the water too. And, and certainly a great statement of faith. And when Jesus says, go for it, come, come to me, right? He steps out onto the water and, you know, put yourself in those, that situation in his shoes. There's a storm raging all around. You're thinking, hey, if I, if I go down in that water, I'm not coming back up. And yet he took that step out there and began to walk on the water. And so there's a great measure of faith there to begin with, but we know the story sort of changes a little bit, and, and Peter sort of begins to doubt, right? So here's how the story continues. So I want to give him some credit, because I think all too often in our lives, uh, when God calls us to step out in faith, uh, we even fall short of the standard Peter sets for us here, and we don't even ever get out of the boat. God's calling us to step out in faith, and we just say, that's just too risky. We just don't have enough faith, and we doubt, and we never even get out of the boat, so to speak. But at least Peter got out of the boat. But it says, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Right, and I want to focus just here for, for a moment on that, Lord, save me. And then what Jesus does here in, in verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And we already talked a little bit about what Jesus does, right? Casting out fear, triumphing over all that the water symbolizes, that, that death, sin, uh, evil. But we also see here, sort of tying in with that, what, what Jesus does, and he saves, Right When we are drowning, that's what was happening to Peter. He's sinking into the water. He's fearing for his life. He's, he's drowning. What does Jesus do? He rescues him. He saves him. And the same is true for us. Right When we were steeped in our sin, drowning in our sin, no way of rescuing ourselves and getting out of that situation on our own, Christ came. Right, He took our place. He took our sin. He paid the penalty for us. He took our punishment on the cross so that through faith in him we could be forgiven. Right, And so that's also what he does for us. He saves us. 
Right, but so what's happening with Peter here, sort of backing up a little bit, right? He has initial faith. He steps out there onto the water. Things are going okay for, you know, a few steps for a little bit. Uh, but then, right, he sort of loses focus. You can imagine at first he's sort of overcome by the power of Christ. And, and he has the power to walk himself on the water. Well, why not me? He can certainly enable me to do that. And so he's sort of focused on the Lord, his, his ability, his trustworthiness, his, his all-powerful nature that he can do this, right? And so he's trusting in the Lord. But then he sort of loses his focus and you know there's the wind over there and boy it's howling and it's it's really whipping and you can imagine the waves they're sort of coming up and and crashing a bit and he begins to to focus on all that potentially could threaten him that which sort of stood against him he sort of loses his focus on the Lord and he becomes focused on that which uh, is sort of threatening him and, and in reality his life wondering hey if this doesn't go well if I don't still stay on top of the waters what's going to happen I'm going to sink and I'm going to perish and so he's focused on on the wind and the waves on the wrong thing right he begins to fear and doubt the lord right and so then he begins to sink and as we read immediately it says jesus reached out his hand and caught him you of little faith he said why did you doubt right he begins to doubt there as he loses focus and is focused on on of course the wind the waves and that which threatens him and i think we're often very much the same where uh, even if we do get out of the boat as peter did i think often when we're called as i mentioned to step out in faith and, and trust the lord in some area of our lives uh, often we just sort of fail from the get-go and we don't even have that initial faith to take the step out uh, of the boat, in a sense, and, and step out onto the waters, figuratively speaking. Um, but sometimes we do. We say, yep, Lord, you're calling me to this. I know it. I just need to trust you, and I'm going to step out in faith. I'm going I'm to lean upon you and trust you, and we get out of the boat, right? But then all of a sudden, those things that are sort of the wind and the waves in our situation, things that sort of threaten us, that sort of stand against us, we sort of begin to focus on those rather than on the Lord, uh, right? We begin to fear, well, what if that happens? What if that happens? Right, and we begin to doubt, right? And I think all too often we're just like that, we're just like Peter. And the lesson that, that we're being taught here, that, that this passage is sort of hammering home here, is that we need to trust in the Lord. We can't doubt the way that Peter doubted. We need to trust from beginning to end, understanding that He is infinitely trustworthy. The Lord is trustworthy. He is faithful. He is good. He is all-powerful. Whatever comes against us, whatever wind and waves arise in our lives as God's calling us to step out in faith, he's got it. He's in control. He's over it all, and he can handle it, and he is good, and we just need to trust in him and not doubt, and that's what this is saying. And then we get to the last couple verses here, verses 32 and 33, and it says, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And again, this comes back to this passage being about, really, in part, who Jesus is, his identity. Who is this? This is the guy who walks on the water, right? He's the one who says, I am, and makes it clear to anyone who he's saying he is and who he indeed is. It's God himself, God the Son. But then, again, he further makes it clear. He climbs out, right? He and Peter, they get back into the boat. Uh, They get in the boat, and what happens, right? The wind is stilled. And it's not like it just so happened that as this took place and they climbed into the boat, the wind just happened to die down. Clearly, this is Jesus himself stilling the wind and the waves, right? And so who is this, right? Regular old people, we don't walk on water. We don't cause the wind to cease. We don't have the power to do that. We don't go around saying, I am, and making it clear who we are. We are not the Lord, of course, right? But of course, what's being made clear is this is who Jesus is. Yes, he is fully man, but he is God himself. He's the one who has the power to do these things, and he declares it very clearly, I am 
I'm the Lord, I'm Yahweh, this is who I am. And again, the disciples here, if we read on to verse 33, and we will, they get it. And we see this in their response and what they say, right? It says, then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God, right? They recognize that, you know, you're not just some good teacher, because good teachers don't, they can't do this. Clearly you are God the Son, this is who you are. And then we see here part of what this passage is saying is not just who Jesus is, but then the appropriate response to him, what he rightfully deserves, and that is worship. If he is God, and indeed he is, then how are we to respond? We are to worship him because he is God. And so kind of coming to the end of this passage, I kind of want to look at this now big picture. There's a lot here as we've sort of moved through. And I want to really highlight the three main points and go through. And then really as we sort of address each of the three main points, then I want to apply each of those to our lives and really give an application. And the first main idea, the first main point really addresses the question of who Jesus is, and then really what our response to him ought to be. And as I just mentioned, it's thoroughly clear here that this passage is saying, this is who Jesus is. He is God himself, right? No one else could be doing these things. This is God himself who has come, taken on flesh, become man, but is truly, while being fully man, also fully God. And then just flowing out of that, then then what is our proper response? Well, if he's God, we must bow down before him and worship him as he so rightfully deserves, as he is due. And so as we think of, well, how do we apply this to our lives, it really applies directly. It's, well, we need to understand and believe the truth in regard to who Jesus is, that he is God, and then we need to worship him. That's how we apply this to our lives, to say, amen, I I believe it. This is who you are, Lord Jesus. You are God. Yes, man, but you are God as well. And, And then just bow down and worship him as he deserves. And now our second main point addresses the question is, well, what is it that Jesus does? We talked about, well, he casts out fear. That's part of it. And so as we think of, well, applying this to our lives, right, if we recognize, well, Christ, the Lord, God, he's always with us, right, and he is infinitely able of, and capable of handling whatever comes into our lives, right, well, then there's no cause for fear. There's no cause to be afraid of things because the Lord is with us. He is for us. He's sovereign over it all, and he's in control of it. And he is working everything for our good, for the good of his people. And so what do we have to fear? The answer is nothing, but rather there ought to be a peace that comes out of that knowledge that the Lord is with us and for us and working everything for our good. And so that's part of our application. Don't fear, but experience peace rather than fear. But also, what what does Jesus do? Well, we talked about that he triumphs over all that the waters represent, all the water represents, evil, sin, death, that he triumphs over that. And again, that points to the cross. And even also, what does he do? Well, he rescues us when we're drowning in our sin. Again, pointing to the cross, right? And so what's our application here as we look to these things, That this teaching that, that Christ saves us as we're drowning, that he triumphs over sin, evil, death, well, it's to, to understand it, to believe it, to certainly understand the truth of the gospel, to say amen to it, I believe it, put our faith and trust in Christ for the forgiveness of our sins, which probably most of us have done. If not, then that's your application. Do that. Truly repent, believe, trust in the Lord for the forgiveness of your sins and do, do so with a repentant heart and be saved. Right? But for maybe most of us who say, I've already done that, then, then our application is to say, just celebrate that. Celebrate the fact that you have a share in Christ's triumph over evil, over sin, over death, right? Celebrate that fact. 
celebrate the fact as well that he casts out fear, that we need not fear, but that we can experience peace in him. And celebrate not only that he began that work and triumphed over sin and evil and death right at his first coming, and he went to the cross and rose from the grave and triumphed over sin and evil and death, but also that he's coming back again. And when he returns, when he comes back, he's going to consummate that work. And with finality, right, once and for all, with finality, he will do away with every bit of evil and sin and brokenness in every way and with finality consummate that triumph over all of those things and celebrate that and yearn for that day to come. And so that's our application there. But then as we think of sort of the third, the last point that this passage, the main idea, main point that this passage is addressing, it's the fact that we're to have faith in the Lord. We are to trust in him and not doubt. We're to sort of learn a lesson from Peter, right? He sort of had that initial faith, but then as he looked and he saw the wind, he saw the waves, he begins to doubt, right? And he begins to sink. And we need to learn from him and, and recognize, no, you know, we need to trust in the Lord. As he calls us to step out in faith in our lives and just to, to entrust ourselves to him, to trust in him, step out in faith, we need to say, Lord, I'm going to trust you. And to, to have an unwavering faith that even as, as sort of things in life come against us, as those things that sort of threaten us in those situations as we're stepping out in faith, whatever may, they may be, those sort of metaphorical wind and waves in our lives, as those things come, we need to not let that shake our faith and cause us to doubt, but rather to recognize God has this. He is trustworthy. He's faithful. What he's calling me to do as I'm stepping out in faith, he's going to work this all out. He's in charge of it all, right? He's going to work it all out in accordance with his good and perfect plan and purposes, right? And he's working everything for my good, and I don't need to worry. I don't need to fear. I don't need to doubt. I just need to trust the Lord, right? And that needs to be our response in those situations, in any and every situation, just to trust in the Lord. And so I want to challenge us, really, and that's, that's certainly how we apply this in our lives today. I want to challenge us to really faithfully live that out. Each of these three main points and the applications that I gave to really faithfully live them out. And as we do that, we're going to be honoring the Lord and we're going to glorify him. So let's do it for him, for his glory. Amen. And let's pray. Lord God, We thank you for this passage, for this teaching. Lord Jesus, thank you for walking on the water and showing us who you are. Walking on the water, declaring it, I am. Stilling the wind, making it clear who you are. You are God, the Son. And you are to be worshipped. And may we believe that truth about who you are and may we give you the worship that you so deserve, that you are due. And Lord Jesus, we recognize all that you do, that you are one who casts out fear, that there is no need to be afraid because you are with us. And may we really experience that in our lives and not fear things, but rather just experience peace in you, Lord. May we remember, too, also what you do is you have rescued us, that you triumph. You have triumphed over sin, death, evil. You accomplish that work and you're going to finish it, consummate it, complete it when you return. And may we rejoice in that fact, Lord, and delight and celebrate in what you have done. And Lord, as we learn from Peter here, we are to trust in you. He had faith to begin with, but began to waver and doubt. And may we learn a lesson from him and not waver in that same way. May we know that you are trustworthy. You are all-powerful. You are good. You're working things for the good of your people. And we can trust in you and ought to trust in you. 
in the midst of any and every situation. As you call us to step out in faith, as Peter did, may we get out of the boat to begin with. But may our faith not end there, but continue and persist. And may we continue to walk on the water in our lives, Lord, trusting in you in every way. And may you be glorified in every bit of it. In Christ's name, amen.